Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the fourth shift fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of Fourth Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. What's going on, everyone? Chris from Fourth Shift Fitness, and I'm coming to you live. Not really. I mean, live when I'm recording it, not live right now. You get what I'm saying, but I'm driving. I got about an hour worth of driving to do, and uh, the two places I win the most arguments with myself are in the car and in the shower. I happen to be in the car right now, so let's take advantage of it. And I'm going to go over uh, four. I'm going to go over four listener questions that came to me over the past week. One of them was in person, that'll be the first one, and the other three came through Instagram. So thank you so much for submitting those. Let's get into it. The first question came while I was on shift the other day, and it was from a guy that I work with. It was a fantastic one. If you remember back to the Matt Mangum episode, he talked about how strength and conditioning coaches and trainers and really any kind of like educator or coach just loves when someone comes up with a really, really good question, something more than just the basic, why does this happen or what's wrong? And I got a really good one on shift the other day. A guy came up to me and said, hey, I've been having some knee discomfort. My left knee is kind of not sore, just kind of feels weird. But I also have a little bit of hip tightness. The outside of my hip feels really tight just recently. And so I was wondering if my hip could be causing my weird knee feeling. And the answer to that is yes, 100% it could be. That's most likely the culprit. Without diving too deep into a physical exam or the history or really much else, if you have a joint that's affected by tightness or an injury or any kind of limiting range of motion, it's going to steal, your body's going to naturally steal ranges of motion from the joints above and below it. So if you have a hip issue and your hips need mobility, now they have less mobility, it's going to try to steal some sort of mobility from your back and also from your knee. And that's just one way that it does that. It could also be pulling his leg in a kind of an awkward direction and making his foot strike to the ground different than it's been for the past 30 something years that he's been alive. And so that's causing an alignment issue in his knee. But the short and the long answer is probably both, yes, your hip is most likely causing some sort of change in, in sensation or alignment or something that's affecting your knee and making it feel not so great. Now. Going further with this guy specifically, he's got a history of some shoulder issues as well. This is kind of even more interesting because what we see a lot of times is if you have a shoulder issue, your opposite hip will be affected. So if my right shoulder is uh, limited for some reason, old injury, um, like I said, tightness, something went on with my right shoulder and I don't have a great range of motion through it, that can cause another compensation pattern and your left hip will actually be bothered by it. And if we go further down the chain, it can go down to your left knee or your right knee and then your left ankle or your right ankle, depending on kind of a lot of variables. Now, this is where treating the patient and not the monitor kind of comes into play. You can't always say, hey, if my right shoulder hurts, my left hip is going to hurt. You have to look at what's going on and see where their symptoms are and then see if you can connect some synchronous looking events that happen. 
And for this person in particular, it seems like his hip is being affected by his opposite shoulder and his same side knee of that hip is feeling the brunt of it. So with that good question, we talked about some stuff you can do to help your hips regain mobility in them, also strengthen them and possibly load them. Remember, it's not always stretching. That makes the joint feel better when something feels tight. And uh, that was a great question, and that's one of the ones that as a strength coach or a coach or a trainer, it's really easy to get excited about because you're helping someone get out of or improve their pain. And that is one of those game-changer moments. If you can do that as a coach or an educator or whatever, get someone out of pain or positively impact or positively impact their pain, game changer. So awesome question to kick it off with. The next question uh, came through the question sticker on Instagram, and we're not going to devote too much time to this one, but we're going to draw some insights from it. And that was, how do I eat like an a-hole and still stay ripped? Well, you can't. And that's just the short and again, probably the long answer to it. I'm not going to get into the details and speculate what eating like an a-hole means. We all have an idea what that means. Obviously, it's different for everyone. For me, eating like that means cake and ice cream and waffles all day long. For someone else, it may be two helpings of carrot sticks at dinner, really living on the edge. But if you look at what it means for anybody, it typically means consuming whatever you want with no regard for its effect and just being happy about it. And to do that and also expect your body to look a certain way and perform a certain way is just plain not going to happen. I'm not going to be so reductionist, just to say that it's calories in, calories out. Of course, the type of calories you're consuming matters, but we can talk about what kind of lifestyle that goes into. It's not fair to just assume that like 20 or 25 years ago, we can eat whatever we want and we can wake up a little bit lighter. The vast majority of us may think that's a little bit of a conflict because, man, I'm busier than ever. I'm doing more stuff than ever. And you may be busier than ever, but I'm willing to bet that you're less active than ever also. I know that's certainly the trap that I fell into. I was playing hockey less. When I was going to jiu-jitsu, I was doing that less. I was working out less, but I was busier. I was studying for the lieutenant's exam. Uh, we were remodeling the house. I was in getting my bachelor's degree. I was so, so, so busy, but I was about a fraction, about a quarter of amount as active. So it just it's kind of important to pay attention to those things. You may feel super busy, but keep in mind how actually active you are. That is a direct relation to how much you can and should consume to meet certain body or performance goals. So to wrap that one up neatly, and yeah, we could go into like a whole hour-long conversation on nutrition and macros and all that stuff. You can't. You can't eat like an a-hole and still expect to look like an Adonis. I'm sorry. It's part of being an adult. It's a bummer. All right, question three also came through Instagram, and it was, what kind of annual physical fitness test do you have in your apartment? If you don't have one, do you think that you should? And this is another can of worms. Not going to go the full hour on it. We're going to devote a little more time to it. But, man, it's a deep one. I talked about this a little bit with incentivized fitness programs, that it's very, very difficult to develop a program that both the city and the union are going to buy into. There's always the fear of some kind of punitive measure if you don't if you don't perform in the manner that they expect, or if they set a standard and you don't live up to it. What are they going to do? You've identified an issue. You got to take some sort of action to correct it. You would think, right? My department does not have a mandatory or necessarily standardized fitness test. Uh, some of the common ones are like the power test or the combat challenge or the CPAP. We don't do that. What we have started doing, or what we were going to start doing before the world exploded, was uh, we developed a consumption course 
and we also ran the FMS six months apart. So either the summer or the winter, you'd run everybody through the FMS and you get a baseline score. And then six months later, you would go through the consumption course. And then you'd be able to compare every six months, you'd have some sort of measurable thing to look back on and compare yourself to from a year prior for that specific event or six months ago to see if you felt better or moving better or anything's hanging up. Now on the topic of consumption courses, I hate the traditional style of the consumption course, the big shark tank thing where you just go around in a circle and there's like four or five events, there's one staircase or one ladder or one tube you gotta crawl through or one Kaiser machine you gotta hit and there's four or five people in the course. You end up skipping events or skipping over things because somebody's on it or it's just too difficult so you just walk right past it. That is such a terrible course because it's not measurable, it's not reliable, most of the time it's not even valid because you're doing things that don't make sense. Uh, and so what we developed in my department is a completely different test, uh, or a completely different course, I should say. It's not a test, it's a course where everybody has their own cache of equipment. It's all independent. You don't skip anything. Nothing is over 35 pounds. Nothing is in an end range of motion. Everything is uh, similar tasks that you would be expected to perform on the fire, on the fire ground, including a DRD backwards drag and a forward hose advance. Uh, we built it to fit inside of one half of one parking spot in a bay floor, so it's approximately 25 or 30 feet long by about eight feet wide. Uh, so we can run four people, three or four people, each on their own course at the same time. There's no overlap. And the only thing that's gonna change from year to year might be uh, if we do it on one bay floor versus another or outside versus inside, but even that, we're trying to keep that as standard as possible. So from year to year to year, you go through the same course with the same implements. And by doing that, we can measure your amount of laps, how many laps you do through the course, uh, how many partial events you complete, and then how much time it took you to do that. From those numbers, you can develop uh, an output score of sorts, and you can gauge what your department does best and what it needs more work in. Does it need better work in the endurance side of things or the power side of things? You can draw those conclusions by looking at how many laps versus how much time. If someone went absolutely crazy and got 12 laps on this thing, but they were only on the course for seven minutes, that's one extreme end of it. Somewhat useful, but not really. On the other end of it, if someone stays on the course for 30 minutes, but only gets through a lap and a half, again, impressive time, not impressive output. We want something in the middle there. And by getting kind of the bell curve or a general idea of what your department is doing, you can see what direction your training plan should follow as a whole. And then obviously on the individual level, you can look at their output score compared to the median or say where you like that score to be compared to what they did and then do an individual program for that person to reach towards that goal. So that was a little more on consumption courses. If you're interested in more on that, reach out to me. I got the plans for it. I love to help you out with it and actually get some good, valid, and reliable consumption courses in the field that we can start using for good data and good training plans instead of just uh, something you do once a year to get sweaty at and flex in your gear. Now on the topic of do I think we should have a mandatory annual physical assessment or test or course or something, I do. I do think, I do hope there's a way to do that in the future. I will fully take advantage of it. Uh, I would love to be included in developing it, but I know the pitfalls that come with it, so I'm not naive enough to think that it's just gonna turn around in the course of two, three, or four years, or even the course of a couple of decades. However, I do think that 
some sort of annual assessment or course or I'm hesitant to say test, but it's some sort of evaluation that everyone should go through or everyone has to go through that's non-punitive or some version of remediation can be taken is important to the fire service. I do think it is a blind spot in the fire service that we have one physical fitness assessment or test to get hired and then once you get on there's relatively nothing industry-wide that you have to continuously perform at, no level of uh, physical fitness you have to uphold to remain active. And I know that sounds harsh. That sounds like, hey, if you get fat, you're out of a job. I get it. It sounds, it sounds heavy, but our job is heavy. And our demands can be heavy, although not heavy all the time. And our standards can be known to slip. And the farther you go in your career, the more and more possibly they can slip because your position changes. And we talked about this before. And it's also been said before by several other professionals it may be easier and easier to let your physical standards slip as you get to new positions or ranks in the fire department. But if you're aligned personnel, you may be called upon to do any given task on any given fire ground. And if you can't perform to a physical standard, I would hope that there would be a measure in place that we can steer that in the right direction, remediate that somehow. Uh, and to what extent, that's not for me to say necessarily, but we need something better than what we have now. Now, the fourth question is one that I have talked extensively on in the past. I did an entire podcast on it, on someone else's podcast, about working out in fire gear. And they want to know, when is it okay to work in fire gear? And this is another really, really good question because it's so easy for me to just throw rocks and say, this is what you shouldn't do, this is how you should not do it, this is when it looks stupid or it's dangerous, but... What we need is, and what's valuable for a coach to do, is not just tell someone, don't let your knees come in on a squat, don't look down at your feet and ruin your posture, don't shock the bar off the ground on a deadlift. We need to tell the clients what to do, right? We need to visualize, hey, push through the floor, keep a big broad chest as you stand up tall. Tell the client what to do, and that's what this question gets to. When is it okay to work in fire gear? Because to be honest, there are some times when it's completely okay and appropriate and even beneficial to work out in fire gear. And myself and Aaron Quinn talked about this during his episode. And we talked about the heat history and the heat exertion and understanding some of your limits while wearing fire gear and how that transfers over to the fire ground. That is absolutely a valid reason to do it. But there are certainly plenty of other times not to do it. Like I said, I've talked about those, but let's start to talk about when it's okay to do it. And I liken it to any other tool that we have in our physical fitness arsenal. It's okay to do it as long as it's not damaging, it's not putting yourself at higher risk, and you get some sort of benefit from it besides people liking it on Instagram. So here's an example of a movement I would do while wearing fire gear. Farmer's carries. All day long wearing fire gear, especially wearing your gloves, okay? This is another pet peeve that I see. I guess I'm not going to pick on the negatives, but people will work out in their full fire gear, helmet, mask, on air, the whole kit, gym shoes. I'm fine with that because it frees up your ankle mobility, but they don't wear their gloves. Your gloves are one of the largest differentiating factors of your fire gear. Everything changes. Every single thing changes when you put a quarter inch of leather and thermal protection on your palm and on your fingertips. Everything changes. So if you're going to wear anything, wear your gloves, right? 
the benefit of wearing your gloves and even just your mask because your vision changes a little bit, right? And you can hear your breath a little bit more. There's some, some definite adjustments to be made when you're wearing a mask and gloves. If you're going to wear anything, wear those two things and be smart. If you're going to wear more than that, fine, but don't, don't not wear those things. because Those are the actual things that change your entire perception, your senses, and your environment when you're fully encapsulated. Now let's get back to other exercises you can and should or it's more acceptable to wear fire gear with. I'm going to make a general statement here and say non-end range of motion or limited joint articulation movements. A lot of words, right? Here's what I'm trying to avoid. Deadlifts, squats, some overhead presses, depending on how your gear fits and if you're wearing an air pack incorrectly, because all those things take our naturally occurring muscular inhibitions and restrictions and they make them so much worse. They just exacerbate them. If you have limited hip mobility, all it's going to do is tie up your hips even more. If you have limited ankle mobility, all your boots do is tie up your ankles even more. If you have limited T-spine mobility, wearing a pack incorrectly with the heavy shoulder straps and putting your suspenders on and putting your coat on just ties that up more. Like I talked about in the first question, that means that those joints don't move as well and they ask the joints around it to pull double duty. That leads to compensation injuries. So instead of doing exercises while wearing your fire gear, even better though, here's what I'd like to see. Train, uh, and if you gotta put something on, like I said, put your gloves and your mask on, cool. But go through a good comprehensive strength and conditioning program, get yourself as fit as possible, and then go perform fire tasks wearing your fire gear. Separate the two, exercise, and then do training evolutions. Try not to combine the two. Because if there may be a certain point where you say, hey, instead of throwing ladders or doing searches or working on forcible entry, physical tasks that I need to wear my fire gear during, I think I'm just going to do a bunch of thrusters wearing my boots and pants. And that should be the same because, hey, I'm bending my knees and I'm pushing overhead. So that feels like the same motion, but it's not, okay? Uh, you're putting yourself, like I said, higher risk by involving all those joints. And also, that's not necessarily uh, an accurate fire ground movement. I mean, nobody thrusters a ladder overhead. Uh, no one burpees a hose line. So I'd rather have you get fit, get durable, then put your stuff on, and then learn the constraints while you're training fire ground evolutions in your fire gear so you actually know what the gear does to your mechanics while you're moving it. Not what you think it might do, because one time you did a wad in your fire gear, and so now I know what it feels like to work hard on fire ground. Not the same thing. And too often we confuse the two, we end up limiting ourselves by trying to be jack of all. We end up actually limiting our abilities on the fire ground because we don't develop the skills necessary in those actual training ground tasks to be successful. So that's it, guys. Listener questions. Thank you so much for submitting those and reaching out. A little confession to make. I missed my exit while we were driving, so I'm kind of backtracking now. Uh, whoopsies. That's uh, got a little distracted, Gavin, but worth it. Any more questions, shoot them over. Like I said, I love those well-thought-out questions that actually help, not just, hey, I have pain. Why does that hurt? But give me a little bit more than that, okay? And that's what I'm all about here is I want to give you purposeful, practical, applicable information that you can take right away and make stuff better, okay? Guys, if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Also, don't forget, this is the last week of pre-orders for the shirts, the Circle Logo shirts. So go on the website, fourthshiftfitness.com 
check out the store, grab yourself a shirt and some stickers. Thank you so much for everybody who's ordered shirts and stickers so far. It truly means a lot that people are willing to put my logo on them. Uh, can't thank you enough. So spread the word, pass this podcast around. As always, I hope to talk to you soon and be a force shifter.